There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you ever met someone and thought their job sounded cool? Or perhaps you're wondering how you can get to a position that doesn't seem to match any of the qualifications you have at the moment. Well, if so, this podcast is for you. We found some people with jobs that you might not necessarily know about or expect people to have, and we're going to ask them about how they got there. Welcome to What Do They Do, a podcast about jobs and how people got them. Hi everyone and welcome to this special episode of What Do They Do? In this episode, we're going to recap season one of our podcast where we look back on the six different interviews that took place and try to identify some different themes. Now we have listened back to them and we did identify some themes, which is good. It means we've got something to talk about today and we're going to go through them today before we jump into our second season, which will be starting in early January 2021. Yeah, so the themes that kind of kept on coming up um, the we are going to talk about is imposter syndrome, network, so building your network. We've got kind of that key person who might have inspired you at some point along the journey. And then a little bit about qualifications. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. So let's dive right in and start with the first one, which is imposter syndrome. Ben, how would you define imposter syndrome? If we really, I'd, I've, I've talked about it lots in the past. And actually, I think you and I have talked about it a lot in different scenarios, particularly where under like the work we we used to do uh, around presenting and like doing training, like the standing up in front of people in like what one earth am I the person who gets to stand up and talk to these people? Um, so I just used to think of it as like, how am I still getting away with this? Surely I'm going to get found out at some point. But it's interesting in in this in this. The interviews we've done, and it came up in particular with Caitlin and Imogen, was a doubt of whether you are the right fit for a role, even though everyone else seems to think that you are. Um, but I've come, I've come around to thinking, like, is it a necessary part of the way that we're made up? Because you know, it keeps you striving harder if you, if you do have a bit of self-doubt. I haven't answered your question at all about a definition, but... I suppose it's that it's that self doubt that maybe doesn't have basis if you were to speak to anyone else. Yeah, I think it is really hard to. I think it's probably different for everybody. And so, if I look at Wikipedia, <laughs> the best source on the internet, 
Imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud, in inverted commas. Um, and I think it, this probably feels different for the people that feel it. And it's worth saying it's not necessarily a real syndrome as such, but that's just the name that's been coined for it. And I think that this feeling can kind of come and go in waves as well, maybe depending on the project that you're working on or the team that you're in, how long you've been somewhere, even just the way that you are feeling that day. I, I think this feeling can probably be relatively well linked to your mental health in general and whether you're feeling good or maybe having a low day. Um, but I've certainly felt this through my career, if you can call it that, um, in, for different reasons, I guess. But I think for me, one of the important things is being aware that it's there um, and also just kind of giving yourself permission not to know everything. It's impossible that you're going to know everything that you need to know to get your job done. You know, you're always going to be hopefully challenging yourself and learning new things as you work on different projects or work with new teams. And I think it is that inherent thing, like what you just said, Ben, where maybe this is essential to how we operate in some way, you know, as humans, we do tend to compare ourselves to other people. And and really, the only thing that you should do is compare yourself to you in the past. Because it came up in your interview with Caitlin, which happened, when did you conduct your interview with Caitlin? Uh, just over a year ago. So late 2019. In person, right? In person, yeah. In the same room. Um, and during that interview with Caitlin, she talked about it in the context of, I think it was when she she was headhunted uh, for a role and she felt that like they, they maybe got the, the wrong end of the stick. Like why on earth were they, did they see, seem to think that she would be suitable for the role? Um, and I, if, I, if I remember correctly, it felt like she was, not go really going to pursue it because she wasn't the right fit. But in conversation with someone else, they called her out on her imposter syndrome and said, well, why wouldn't you be a candidate for it? And also kind of um, linking in with themes that come up of like, what's the worst that could happen? Kind of fighting that. So for her, it sounded like having that conversation with someone else, who knows, who knows her uh, and is aware of her skill set, they were able to get her over kind of missing out on the opportunity um, and kind of overcoming the imposter syndrome. Because it's one thing to have it, like to have that feeling, but I suppose the next bit is, is whether it impedes your ability to, to go on and sort of take opportunities and, and do what you are actually capable of. I think that's the key thing is if you recognize that it's there, that's a good step and a good way to make sure then that you understand that's what that feeling is. It isn't that you are not capable or that you are a fraud. It's just an internal mechanism kicking in somewhere to give you some doubt about what you can do, I guess. And, and then hopefully if you recognize that you can kind of work through it. I, I think mean, that's the thing without imposter syndrome as a thing, we would just have a lot of incredibly arrogant people strutting around. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, actually, because is the opposite of imposter syndrome arrogance? I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, and there's a, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence as well. I really look up to people who uh, 
are able to very confidently talk about their achievements because you should. You absolutely should share things that you've done well and produced or you know, if maybe if you're in a creative industry, you have a portfolio of work, you should want to shout from the rooftops about that amazing thing that you did. Um, and I, I feel like there's maybe a bit of a trait that's quite British in that as well, in being more reserved and in general British people not shouting about things and they find it difficult to hear someone else do it. And so I think that- we should be careful or maybe about saying arrogance is the opposite. There's also potentially a gender um difference as well um so not not my own in unique thoughts but uh i suppose it's a reference to the book um invisible women by caroline criado perez where it talks about like that job interview process and job descriptions where it, it would seem that there's a suggestion that when seeing a job description men are slightly more inclined to say i've got some of the skills i can probably figure out the rest yeah i'll give it a go and women might be more inclined to say, I've got some of the skills, I don't have the other ones, so I won't apply. But then there's also factors of like language and job descriptions, which which is mm. kind of explored in the book as well about like, yeah, um, langu- language can make a big difference about who applies for a certain job description. And if you tweak it to be more, more gender neutral, um, it definitely open up your pool. But because imposter syndrome also came up with Imogen Napper, so to give context, if you haven't listened to Caitlin's episode, um, Caitlin at the time of interview was working in kind of um, agile innovation work within a, a large multinational. Um, she subsequently uh, sort of finished her MBA and gone gone it alone. She's got a podcast of her own, which we'll put in, in the links. And uh, yeah, she's sort of now um, following the path of looking at innovation for businesses. So she's doing pretty well. I don't, like, I don't know what that was about. And then Imogen, who I just mentioned, is a sort of microplastic scientist. She's done some projects around the impact of plastic in our oceans. Um, but she talked about imposter syndrome as well. Um, in terms of her, I think it was sort of presenting your research and kind of speaking as a PhD and, and not really feeling that she was comparable to the people that, that she was working with. Yeah, I remember her talking about being at an event where she was on the bill with two other people that she had looked up to and admired. And so to be speaking alongside them seemed very strange. But I think it's that moment of reflection where you can look back at that and say, actually, I'm there because I've worked bloody hard um, to be here, right? And uh, now you're getting visibility to that work. Yeah, it's it, it's difficult to kind of, and maybe it is a British thing as well that that I have full faith in everything I'm doing and it's all really amazing. Yes, I'm going to tell everyone about it. That doesn't come across in the right way, or at least didn't when I heard myself say it just then. So yeah, I think imposter syndrome is an interesting one, and and maybe something we can explore a little bit more. Um, and obviously, it particularly came up in those two interviews. Just to jump back to a point you made a minute ago, where you said that Caitlin spoke to a friend who then kind of reminded her, actually, these are all the qualities that you have. These are the things that you can do. Of course, they would headhunt you for this role. I think that kind of moves nicely into one of the other points, which is that key person. Mm. Um, You know, in many of the stories that we've listened to, so Caitlin, Lawrence, and Imogen, 
there has been kind of one person that maybe at the time they didn't realize was pivotal in helping them think about their future or reassuring them that they are capable of the things that they're trying to do. But basically, at some point somewhere, someone either giving them a nudge or consistently over time, that person kind of really um, cheerleading, if you like, for the work that they were doing, which then had an effect on the journey they ended up taking into the world of work or their career or where their career is finally headed. And listening to them has definitely made me think about who are those people for me. And I think there can be multiple of these one person, if you like, maybe someone when you were at school age, someone at an early point in your career, someone in your current role, perhaps. I don't know about you, Ben, have you had a think about that? Are there any moments that stand out? Yeah, I, I, I have thought about that a lot in terms of is there that like pivotal moment or person that kind of um, was relevant to what went on. I can't pin it down to one. So because I was thinking, does everyone have that? And for myself, I don't think th- there's a combination of, you know, a couple of teachers that were that were good, but I wouldn't say they informed kind of what I went on to do. Um, there's some very pivotal moments with my dad just giving me a look that uh, is seared in my memory forever, you know, um, and those type of things. So uh, for me, I haven't kind of got that one. I mean, Lawrence's one person was uh, was when he was at school and was in the kind of the, the the room where you get sent if you're not necessarily towing the line, and someone that showed him respect uh, and that he had respect for, who showed a bit of belief um, and kind of laid down a few things, a few home truths in terms he could really get on board with uh, that kind of gave him a bit of belief in himself. Um, so I wonder whether that, if we could maybe back to imposter syndrome, at those moments you were talking about where those moments when you're not feeling on top four, if you coincide that with the, the person that you respect who can give you a little bit of a nudge in the right direction, that, that those factors can come together Yeah, I think if you're listening now, it's probably good to take a moment to reflect on the journey that you've had. If you're feeling a bit of that imposter syndrome, perhaps you've just taken on some new responsibility, for example, and someone has seen something in you to give you that responsibility, and they believe that you can do it. And hopefully, if you can reflect on that, that will give you your own self-belief that you're able then to actually do it. And it might be that for that new responsibility, you need to learn some new skills. And that's just going to take time because a lot of these things are soft skills that just take practice, especially if you're taking a step up in a current role. I was going to say, if you talk about a a skill set, there was a a keynote that I saw that uh, kind of opened my world to design thinking, which has definitely taken me in a different direction. So watching them talk about that, I suppose that would be a, a kind of moment. And actually that came with after they'd done the keynote, you know, you know, when you see a good keynote, you're like, oh, this person is, is inspirational. And uh, I found him later sitting in a corridor, just like working on something and went, hi. Um, turns out he actually knew who I was, which is a bit of a bonus as well. But uh, I think there's maybe that other bit as well, because Imogen, there was um, a particular person, a professor that she reached out to, and then I think got a response several months later out of the blue. Um, and I think that that was someone she compared herself to and thought, well, I'm not in that league. And But that being able to form a bit more of a relationship with that person, um, 
is a catalyst to kind of them saying, no, yeah, I, I who you had lots of respect for, believe in you, and, and that gives you the boost. Yeah, and I think that's really closely linked to one of the other topics that we've found through all of these conversations so far, which is having a network. And even if you don't formally go to an event to network, which I'm not even sure whether that how's that how that's happening in COVID, it's really difficult to do a video call because only one person can speak at once. But um, having a network of people that you can turn to that are within the circle that you are operating within, like within the industry, for example, I think one thing that is positive and that I would I always try to do, and it can be very difficult. But I try to think about how can I help create a network for people or how can I be a part of that network? Because as you move forward in your career, someone is probably looking up thinking, oh, I would like to be doing that. And so is there a way that you can help them in that way, for example, that that professor you mentioned did come back to Imogen, albeit months later, he clearly wanted to help and had something for her. And actually that kind of help drive the direction of her work and opened up some doors into new projects and, and new research, for example. Yeah, because uh, in terms of network, so Jem, she introduced me, was it introduced both of us to the the phrase, your network is your net worth? Yeah. Um, and and Jem is probably the, uh, the best example we've had on of someone who really has a thriving network that, allows her like <laughs> she's worth she's worth connecting to on a number of levels because she's got people all over the world that she connects with all the time and, and her network is so strong and she gem gem operates in a number of different areas so she's kind of got her job she has a kind of small business that she's running on the side and what fascinates me about her network is how multifaceted it is and that it's not just focused on one particular area of work or one particular set of knowledge. It's actually surrounding yourself with people that are outside of that circle too, but just networking with them because it's useful for a mentorship, like mutual mentorship in a way and being able to talk to people. But Jeremy is always the person that I turn to. I work with her. If I'm like, do you know someone who does this? Because nine times out of 10, Jem probably will know someone somewhere or she'll know someone that knows someone that does the thing that you're looking for. And it's made me think about that as well and think, what is who is in my network? What, what does my network look like? How can I expand that network or meet or talk to more people? I think through 2020, this is probably pretty difficult to do. But what I would say is I find that most people are pretty open. Like if you send them a message, they might be super busy like Imogen's professor as an example, but eventually they might come back to you. Um, it's also, like obviously you work with Jem, and if you were to purely um, work with her on a professional level only and just focus on that, you know, the work that she does in, in the role where you know her, you wouldn't necessarily end up discovering that she um, has run, uh, she runs Tribe, is it Tribe Quest? Tribe Dash. Dash, uh, I've name dropped a different one. Tribe Dash, where she takes groups of people across the world in um, on on trips, or that she's kind of got a a few voiceovers out there as well. Um, and I think, I suppose, it does start to bring us into our fourth theme of qualifications 
in that we spoke to a lot of people who have a main job or role, but that by no means gets anywhere near to kind of all the different things they do. Um, when I spoke to Sam um, towards the beginning of season one, um, he had gone through various different roles in surf magazines and doing user experience design for touchscreen DVDs um, back in the day, um, which actually eventually led him to creating an accessibility tool. Um, and uh, and he's, he's sort of now moving on to a few new ideas. Um, and, you know, the qualifications he had don't necessarily relate directly to what he's gone on to do. And um, he also surfs as well, for reference, all these different skill sets people have. And it's interesting to kind of connect those together. I think one assumption I had coming into creating this podcast and getting to meet amazing people was that you don't necessarily need the qualifications that line up with your career. For the most part, I think that has proven true. Even when we've spoken to people where their career has been a more linear tra trajectory from their university course, perhaps upwards, um, they have maybe moved into an area that they've discovered that they like through the work that they've been doing. And I, I think that is just going to be easier and easier to do as time goes on. And it, it gives me hope in a way, because I think it means that we can make education hopefully a bit more flexible when you're younger. There doesn't necessarily need to be a focus on learning a subject to take you to work, which I don't think is massively there right now. But I hope that it will start giving people permission just to try new things when it comes to being at school and teaching and learning. Um, because it's the soft skills that are going to be really important or so-called soft skills that are going to be really important as you try and shift from kind of one company to another or one career type to another, one job ladder to another, et cetera. And I think that trajectory into adjusting your skills has been accelerated in 2020. Um, a lot of the things that were kind of, you know, trends that were coming anyway uh, have been vastly accelerated. Um, so those skill sets... I mean, when we talked about when we talked to Imogen, who went on to get a PhD and be and sort of publish lots of research around plastics in the ocean, she didn't profess to be like a a sort of a stars across the board in the science subjects at school. It was more around her interest in beaches, spotting that there was pollution and and that you know that passion that she had for sort of keeping a beach clean and, and under, wanting to understand why on earth there's so much plastic on it. That passion led her to then excel in her field where maybe that wasn't wrapped up into the, you know, smashing the qualifications at school. Um, so I think that's one for a theme I kind of really interested in is, is when that spark ignites um, and something we'll try and maybe explore in, in season two is, is that link of the learning of skills, but then when does that kind of link with some passion area and kind of really go, really go next level? I was just thinking, it's really interesting that you mentioned passion because I feel like from the interviews that we've already recorded for the next season, that feels like a topic that's already coming out and I don't want to give too much away. Um, I think this is really good to catch up just before Christmas. 
as a little Christmas special to drop into your ears before the new year. Yeah, um, that pre that pre Christmas work, or the is it the is this a good podcast length for the walk after a large Christmas dinner? I think either. Maybe you need to listen <laughs> to it twice just to go back over the ideas. Um, but in the new year, early January, we'll start with our second season of podcasts. Our first guest is going to be Amy Trigg, an actor based in the UK, uh, who recently won the Women's Playwriting Award too. And she'll discuss some of her writing in that interview that we did with her a little bit earlier this year, mid-pandemic. So I'm really excited to get another set of interviews out there in the world so that you can hear about people's stories and find out what do they do. Be that nosy person when you're speaking to someone at an event and you want to find out more about that job. Kind of sounds cool, but you know that maybe you wouldn't do it yourself or maybe a job that you've never heard of. Can't wait. Yeah, I think there's uh, some good ones coming and we've got uh, hopefully some really interesting podcasts for you to while away and not a commute anymore, but um, those bits of time, definitely get out for a walk. <laughs> I don't, I'm still doing a commute. I don't know about you. It's about 15 seconds long, but it's still a commute. Uh, mine can be quicker if I slip on the stairs. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I also, I, I always thought, oh, well, now I'm working from home all the time. I just like, you know, put the, put the music on or put a podcast on the background. But it gets interjected by regular video calls. Um, yeah. So yeah, carving out that time. That's why... At, getting out for a walk and actually moving because my step count at some some days this year is, is literally 13 steps down the stairs and 13 steps up well after the second season we will finish with a wrap-up podcast where we go for a walk together and we can record the walk there <laughs> well, and i can like do dog voices no <laughs> is that not that? <laughs> that's the wrong podcast but... oh, damn it. awesome can't wait yeah all right see you all in january deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.